Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, February 7th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, Jackson's mayor responds to legislation that would divert special revenue away from general infrastructure. Then, looking at solutions to a growing rate of congenial syphilis. Plus, we examine how the creation of a special court jurisdiction will affect voters in Hines County. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Jackson's mayor is openly opposing legislation that could change how tax dollars are used in the capital city. The Mississippi House of Representatives recently advanced a bill that would force Jackson to divert the revenue from its 1% special sales tax to the city's water system. Currently, those funds are designated for general infrastructure, including roads and bridges. Lumumba says that limits the city's ability to address a wide variety of issues. I think that it is short-sighted. Anyone who would make a decision to vote for that, the understanding that they have is um, a mile long and an inch deep. Right. Uh, if you if you don't look at the comprehensive nature of what we have to deal with as a city, uh, then you're setting a, you're setting the stage for only more complications to take place going forward. Uh, I would tell you that from what I understand from the members of the one uh, percent commission, they don't even agree with it. Right. Uh, we certainly don't agree with the paternalistic nature that we have a commission over us when no other city does. Uh, but their own appointees don't agree with limiting it in that way. Uh, I think that we need to have a more broad and expansive way of dealing with the, the, uh, the multitude of issues that we have to address with our city, but limiting it to one thing certainly uh, does not recognize the quality of life challenges that Jacksonians have throughout the city. That's Mayor Shokwe and Tarlamumba. The tax was established in 2014 as a result of a citywide referendum, but when the legislature went to approve the new tax, Lumumba says they altered the conditions the city voted on. He still questions the constitutionality of that move. Even after the referendum was passed, that there was an amendment to the referendum to exclude things like sin tax, right? I believe that that is a violation of the Voting Rights Act because people went to the polls, they voted for something in the form that they believed it to be in, 
and then the legislature went and amended it after the people voted for it. Syntax is something that would have raised the level of funds that we would have had available to not only deal with roads, but to deal with the various components of water in our city. Um, we look to tax those things that are considered syntax, and, and for those that don't know, that's liquor, that's cigarettes, uh, anything that, that is hazardous to your health. Typically, the tax there is not only because you want to be able to gather more for something like this 1%, but it's also supposed to be a deterrent so that people don't abuse those things that are not helpful to them. And so we, we tax those things all the time. But for some reason in this particular uh, instance, that was, that was eliminated post uh, the vote. And I believe that that is a problem. Things like medication uh, and groceries were eliminated from the very onset because we find that people with set budgets, uh, those are the items that are most challenging to those set budgets. And so that was, it was contemplated from the very start, and it was introduced that those would not be included. The bill's author, Trey Lamar, lives in Senatobia in Tate County. When presenting the bill on the House floor last week, he confirmed he never spoke with the third-party water system administrator, Ted Hennepin, about the need for extra cash on hand to operate the system. Coming up, looking at solutions to a growing rate of congenital syphilis. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks to our sustaining members who provide ongoing monthly financial support. You can become a sustainer, too. Go to mpbonline.org and click Donate Now at the top of the page. This is MPB Think Radio. Mississippi is our mission. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Medical leaders in Mississippi say the state could expect an additional 5,000 new births per year. This anticipated increase comes after the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade last summer. The court's ruling has put a spotlight on the condition of prenatal and postpartum care in Mississippi. The state trails the nation when it comes to maternal and infant mortality. And now a new congenital condition is is presenting challenges to infants and pregnant Mississippians. According to former state health officer Dr. Thomas Dobbs, there has been more than a 1,000 percent increase in infants born with syphilis in Mississippi during that time. Dobbs, now the dean of the School of Population Health at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, says this devastating condition also elevates the risk of miscarriage. In part two of our conversation with Dr. Dobbs, we examine the impact of more births on the health care system and solutions to the reproductive health crisis. If we're going to, you know, have more births, the state of Mississippi needs to step up and try to make sure that all those babies have a healthy start. And this is one, one part of that. Um, but I'm very hopeful that this is such a solvable problem that if all the players just agree to play their part in treating the babies – then and the moms, we can basically make this problem go away within a couple of years. I have absolute confidence. Dr. Dobbs, this issue seems like it correlates with sex education because they're getting the disease because they're not using protection and taking precautions 
and they probably don't understand a lot of things about their bodies and their genitalia. Certainly, we have a real issue around health literacy and sexual health in the state of Mississippi. Folks need to understand not only what diseases can be transmitted, how to get tested, how to get treated, that sort of thing, how to protect, how we, how we protect ourselves, but also about reproductive health in the sense of having access to birth control methods. That's something that you know, we're really behind in Mississippi is women having, women having the knowledge and the availability of effective reproductive health methods. They kind of go hand in hand because, you know, a lot of, a lot of births in Mississippi are not planned, right? They just kind of happen because of lack of preparation. And so these go hand in hand because women are having uh, children that were not, you know, in their immediate life plans necessarily, uh, but also, I'm not having that health literacy to understand the risks to themselves and the baby from from other diseases. That that's just you know hand in glove. So without that health education piece, that sexual education piece, can you really reduce the incidence of this over time? You know, it certainly would be phenomenally helpful to have that piece in there. That's a complicated topic in the sense that you know. There's an expectation that, that schools have a role to play in that to some degree, but, but each school has its own sort of curriculum, and whether or not they even implement that curriculum is a is a district-by-district district situation, the way that things are organized in Mississippi. So it's, it's, that's, that's a challenge. But, you know, with communications outside of that, uh, public health messaging, uh, working with physicians, making sure our systems support women who, when they are pregnant, those are those – are, measures that will go a long way at beating it back, but certainly, you know, people having health literacy around sexual health would be a phenomenal addition to what we need to do for folks in Mississippi. And I guess I'm wondering, a woman who delivers a baby, has syphilis, transmits it to the child, she receives treatment. Does she have to stay in the hospital longer at all? We know the baby has an extended stay. What happens to her? You know, except in rare circumstances, the, the woman would likely not need to stay in the hospital. Uh, the syphilis treatment for adults is typically an outpatient thing. You can get one shot if it's a recent infection and three shots over the course of three weeks if it's a, a more longstanding infection, if it's, if it's chronically in your body. So that's not something that likely would contribute to, you know, excess cost to stay in the hospital for the mom. And I know we're talking about syphilis in infants and moms, but if it's happening with moms, it's happening with people who are not pregnant and they get this disease. Absolutely. We have seen a remarkable increase in syphilis across the board. Uh, this one has been acutely more, more alarming as far as the rate of rise, but we've had a steady increase in syphilis in the country, but in Mississippi specifically, Mississippi is now number one in chlamydia, number one in gonorrhea, and now we're tied number one for syphilis with Nevada. So when it comes to first to the worst, STDs is now, you know, another of a list of things that Mississippi's not performing well in. And if you don't treat syphilis, can you have brain damage? You know, absolutely. Um, as as was seen in the notorious and, you know, obviously unethical Tuskegee, Tuskegee experiment. That's what they did is they watched what happened to, to, to poor black folks in South Alabama on what happened with syphilis, um, even when treatment was available, which 
which is too hard even to contemplate how horrible it is, that it will cause chronic problems. About a third of folks will go on to get severe you know, bone, muscle, brain damage, paralysis, those sorts of things. So untreated syphilis is not only bad for the baby, but it's, it's very bad long-term for the adults who get it. Is there anything but that if I... treat it, it, it works well. Treatment works very well. Just have to be able to pay for it. Well, you do, and the health department folks will be very happy to treat it, but, that, but then if you can't treat it in the clinic, you know, you have that barrier in care, right? You have to go somewhere else. You have to get transport. You got to get a day off of work. It'd be so much better if clinics could just give a shot when they had folks in the clinic. All right. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that's important to mention about this issue? Um, no, I, I think we, we covered it all. I just want to reiterate that, uh, you know, multiple people have a role to play in this, multiple different organizations, insurance, physicians, offices, individuals who get pregnant, their families, and also public health, that if we can all work together to raise awareness and make sure that women have the full support that they need in pregnancy, especially early in pregnancy, we can turn the tide on this quickly. Dr. Thomas Dobbs, thank you so much for your time and speaking with us. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. It's great to talk to you again. Coming up, we examine how the creation of a special court jurisdiction will affect voters in Hines County. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Ryder Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advisory and co-host of Money Talks. Each week, we take your personal finance questions and tell you about a money topic we hope you find helpful. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. Connect with the people looking to connect with you. Become an underwriter with Mississippi Public Broadcasting. For more information, go to mpbonline.org slash more slash underwriting. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. A bill which would expand political power to hand-picked officials is moving through the state legislature. House Bill 1020 would expand the Capitol Complex Industrial District, a section of Jackson which includes the Capitol and wealthier neighborhoods in the city. If signed into law, the bill would allow Attorney General Lynn Fitch and Supreme Court Justice Chief Justice Mike Randolph to appoint four prosecutors and two judges. It's a piece of legislation the ACLU of Mississippi says is a violation of voting and civil rights. Executive Director Jarvis Dorch tells MPB's Maya Miller the bill would create an undemocratic court system. Look what happened in Memphis. Think about how um, the police murdered someone and there was a response from a new DA up there to arrest them and to prosecute them, we wouldn't be, have that ability to do that in Jackson because these people would not be responsive to anybody in the city other than the governor. So in your capacity with the ACLU, why do you, um, why are you tackling this? Yeah, I mean, this is just a violation of voting rights and political power. This is an effort to take political power away from black voters in Jackson. Um, this is something that the ACLU looks out for because we know that states like Mississippi have a history of taking these type of actions where they deprive voting power and voting rights for African Americans. Um, this is something that was done 
in the past to make sure that people did not actually have a say in who governed them. This is something we didn't think was going to be coming forward again in 2023. But this is definitely the state saying we're going to take political and voting power away from those citizens of Jackson. And one thing I failed to mention earlier, this also directs about 20 percent of sales tax revenue from the city of Jackson to this district. So that money would go to a district that has nothing but appointed folks running everything in it. So the citizens of Jackson, whether you live in South Jackson, West Jackson, you would be paying taxes going forward to this district and have no say in how those taxes tax dollars are spent. While the rest of the city, city government, would be deprived of that 20% of revenue. And so do you have an estimation of how much that 20% could be? We're, again, we're working to see what those numbers are, but we're talking about millions of dollars that would be taken from the city of Jackson and transferred to this fund. Um, this is going to lead the city in a position where they're not going to have the resources to take care of the rest of the city, and this money is going to be going to a more wealthier part of the city that that is going to get those funds and essentially funds that the city does right now. Um, it's still part of Jackson technically, but they have their own self-government government that is going to have additional money for it. Do you think that race plays into who gets to be in control of this district? Yeah, I mean, when you look at it and a couple of other bills that are floating through the legislature this year, you definitely see that white Jacksonians are deciding that they can take their city back through the Mississippi legislature, that they don't like being governed by the majority black voters in the city of Jackson. So they have gone to the Mississippi legislature, which is predominantly white, um, disproportionately white because of gerrymandering. And they have the ability to get legislation like this passed to bypass the voters of Jackson uh, because those members of the legislature that are pushing this are don't value those voters and they don't value those citizens of Jackson because there's no way you could go with a bill to Tupelo or Northeast, Northeast Mississippi and say we're going to divide half of Tupelo and give a state-appointed system control of half of, the, half of that city and there's no way that would pass anywhere in the legislature. But with majority black Jackson, we easily see something like this get to the House floor in, in you know, just a couple of weeks with no hearing, no public comment. Um, this is something that's going to be taken up this week on the House side. And so what are the implications for, you know, voter suppression? Well, I, I think the implication is that if you've got people growing up in Jackson and a part of Jackson and don't have any say in the people that arrest them, the people that prosecute them, um, the officials that are making contracts to you know, pave roads, if you don't have the ability to influence that, why are you voting? So you've got people that you're trying to explain to them you know, the power of voting, the power being a part of community, the power being a citizen, and the state legislature taking that away, what do you say to that person to say, hey, you need to go vote? When you have people now hitting you with, my vote doesn't matter. The legislature is actually putting words behind that. They're putting power behind that with bills like HB 1020. 
you would definitely see fewer people going to the polls because you have a sense of, you know, whatever I vote for, the legislature has just said that vote doesn't doesn't make a difference. It's just for show. We're the real power are in these appointed people that we're going to put in charge of the city. And how many people would be, you know, appointed for this? So there would be at least two judges appointed. Um, there would be prosecutors appointed by the attorney general. Uh, there would be a circuit clerk, essentially, appointed by the uh, chief justice of the Supreme Court. Those two judges would be appointed by the chief justice of the Supreme Court. Um, the officials that administer the Capital City Improvement District Fund, those folks work for the, Depo- the DFA, which is a administrative arm of the governor's office. So they're essentially appointed by the governor. So you're, you're looking at folks that are not residents of Jackson, have the chief justice is from South Mississippi. He's not a Jacksonian. He has um, would have incredible say in who oversees our criminal justice system in the city of Jackson. Mm-hmm. And in addition to that, they would also have, these courts would also see civil cases. So there are people promoting this that say this is about tackling crime. There are, these courts are not just limited to criminal cases. They're going to be taking on civil matters. They're going to be taking on um, things that usually go to justice court, uh, things that deal with eminent domain, uh, the ability to partition land, things like that would go to this court. And in addition to that, any case where the state of Mississippi is a party would go to this court. Those things normally start, if you sue the state of Mississippi in state court, it would start in Chancery Court in Hines County because this is a seat of government. They're changing that completely and making you sue and go before a judge appointed by uh, the Chief Justice of the State Supreme Court. So to me, it sounds like there are people who are not in, you know, they're not in Jackson, they're not in community with the people here that want to be in control of everything. Yeah, I think there are some folks that are influencing that that are in the city of Jackson that that want to see um, the ability to control things, but they're not able to get that control through voting. They're not able to get that control through the democratic process. So they decide that, you know, you know democracy <laughs> doesn't matter to them as much as having power and control. So they're willing to to put forward an authoritarian government like this in place of um, democracy, which is essentially, you know, a power grab. Um, They have the ability to do this through the Mississippi legislature because of how it's structured, um, because these are black citizens in a city that's been um, disregarded by the Mississippi legislature for a lot of years, disinvested by the Mississippi legislature. And, you know, just because you have the ability to do it, they're going to do it. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me in studio today, Jarvis. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.